Welcome to the Cincy Postcast. May the 5th be with you. Wait a minute. I'm not Kevin Wallace. That's right. It's your boy, the Chief, and I've been giving control of the pod this week while Kevin is off enjoying some R&R, but don't worry. We got a packed show for you. Pro officiating admits they made a mistake. Don't hold your breath for those points for road. Jeff Cameron calls it a career. Is he on the U.S. soccer Mount Rushmore? We've got training updates from FCC. Arias out. Brenner TBD. We finish up with a little in the 11 out of the 18 and a preview of FCC versus the fighting Wayne Rooney's of D.C. That'll be your postcast. Let's go. Joining me to discuss all that and more, it's just Grayson. Um, this is how you intro a podcast, right? That's how we do this? Uh, yeah. Do you have your book of questions? I don't. Ah, crap. I, I, can, I can ask chat GPT. We've that's already, we've that's already what, fucked this up. It's already. Oh, F, as you can tell, probably, Kevin Wallace is... Not with us this evening. He's off, I think, at an undisclosed location enjoying some well-deserved R&R family vacations. So if you're out there, Kevin, enjoy things. We're figuring this out without you, I think. Um, but we got a lot to talk about tonight. We have news from FC Cincinnati, roster news coming into this weekend. We've got updates on the Natty SC. We've got in the 11 out of the 18 coming up in segment two and an FCC versus DC United preview in segment number three, but we begin this episode with pro referees admitting a screw up. You got saw him. the news this week. We found, ladies and gentlemen, we got them. Uh, the news <laughs> this week came out from pro uh, referees via, I believe it was Pat Brennan's tweet that there was a conversation between Pat Noonan and the uh, the pro pro where they admitted there should have been a penalty called in the second um, foul on Lucho in the second half. So I to submit this to you, Grayson. Are we square with pro after this admission? I mean, no, because I don't. I, <laughs> of course not. What what is this? What does this do? What does this do for me? Like I would rather they incorrectly award us a penalty and then apologize about that later, because like. The ref is assigned to a game this weekend. Yeah. He's doing the he's like he's a fourth official for the Montreal game. I don't know if that's like a like a demotion. I know they cycle through though, so Right. Well, I mean, he did have to go to a francophone country to officiate a match, so I guess you could your mileage may vary as to whether or not that's actual punishment. But they speak French in the same way that like <laughs> you know the Folks down at the holler speak English. I went to a bachelor party in Montreal about, um, God, 10 years ago, and it was an utterly unremarkable experience, but for the fact that someone on the bachelor party met a woman while he was out at the bar. This guy was from Tennessee. He was just up in Montreal for the weekend. Met a woman in Montreal, exchanged phone numbers, and they're married now. So he met his wife on a bachelor party in a city, in a, another country, in a city he had never been to before, and somehow managed to make that work. She's a U.S. citizen now. So, say la vie. Say la vie. Uh, 
Amour, love is in the air when French is being spoken. Now, doesn't it seem intuitively like this official should face some discipline? Like if your boss, if your bosses say you, you fucked up and you did bad at the one thing you have to do, which is calling a match official officially or correctly, the idea that you're just right back on the rotation. I mean, surely they have other officials where this guy can just sit and time out for a week, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know what the, I don't know what like the bargaining agreement says about it because you remember Pro is uh is union now, um, which is a little weird to me because I would consider them supervisors. So like, what's how does the union how does the unit get recognized? I don't know. Whatever, but I, I as I understand it, there is like some scorecard system that they. Like they do keep track supposedly of how many times a ref screws up over the course of a match, and you can get you know demoted down to lower levels or to you know sidelines or or whatever. But that's a total black box. Like we have no idea if that even is is a thing or what what their criteria is or how they act, how they actually keep track of it. It's like the, the orchestra scores for the conductor that, right. you know, like you don't, you don't see them. They're just, somebody sees them. Right. Or like whose line is it anyway, where the rules are arbitrary and the points are made up. It just feels, it feels like it's nonsense and it, it's kind of annoying in a number of different ways. Well, it's not kind of annoying. It's just outright annoying, but in a sport where a bad decision by an official can cost you a match quite literally like this, the decision yeah. not to award that penalty is a two point decision for FC Cincinnati. The mm-hmm. several incorrect cards that he issued, like we talked about on it's a Sunday, three point decision on the table. Yeah, because we're in direct competition with them. Yep. We're, they are quite literally are in our peer group. The idea that, that we can move on like nothing happened. I mean, at the very least there should be like, um, like a yellow card accumulation for the official or something like that, where you miss one of these and it's a warning. You miss a second one and you're on the shelf for a little bit. I don't know. It just it's it's frustrating because the these apologies are like the most hollow activity that happen in sports, and they happen in the NFL. They happen in every sport where afterwards the official admits, "Oh, we made a mistake." Well, that that doesn't make it better. And there's no real excuse for it. He had None. every opportunity. He had every opportunity to get this right. Like his his buddy, the the video assistant referee, was telling him that he screwed it up. Right. And he clearly, clearly was not interested in even considering overturning his call. And right. nothing could have changed his mind in that moment. And that's like that's worse than making a bad call. I was just gonna like, say that. Like, yeah, it's worse than making a bad call because you were presented with the correct answer and you still stubbornly chose to stick with your mistake on the field. It it would almost be like it's bad to flunk a test. It's even worse to flunk a test when the teacher tells you what the answers were the day before you take the test. And that's what this was right here is that he was presented with, no, you got this wrong. And he like, that's where the consequences should really attach is, you know, okay, we admit everyone makes mistakes, but we have VAR to help you. But if you still stubbornly refuse to use the assistance that VAR has given you, maybe that's when you need to go into timeout. Maybe that's, 
that's something to think about with all this too is that like okay like you can stand your ground on this call and believe that you were right and the video isn't seeing what you saw but if we go back after the fact and we find out that you screwed this up then that's when like the real hammer comes down on you from whatever opaque organizations whatever shadowy organization 13 like weirdos are running pro officiating here in this country like it just feels to me that when you're in a VAR situation, and VAR situations are kind of unique in this way, because it's the only time the ref right. has a chance to go back and look at the video, and he's consulting with another referee, one of his union brethren. Yes. Um, that there is, I I don't trust this guy to ref any to ref a game in the future. I just really don't. No. Because what he's what he's told you is that he's told you that he's not open to criticism. He's told you that it's his way or the highway when it comes to on field decisions. And it's just to me, if like you were interviewing an employee and somebody came in looking for a job and you called to check their qualifications and their former employee said, well, he doesn't respond well when you tell him he's done something wrong. He digs his heels in even when he's presented with better information and uh, generally, overall, is pretty immune in his own mind to the thought that he might be wrong on something. I don't know that I'd hire that guy. I think no. that would probably be, that'd be a resume that went back in the circular filing bin. So I guess my other question is this, and I'll submit this to you because we talked about it on Sunday. My big fear, and I don't know if this was shared by everyone. I think it was. My big fear was that, much like last year, this criticism of officiating was going to get the team into trouble because we we've learned the hard way that when you it's almost like that they're almost like a union kind of like the comical evil comic evil unions that you see in movies and in you know conservative propaganda where if you know you cross the union you end up in a ditch somewhere some toughs show up and you know remind you of what your place is. Have we, by this admission that the decision was incorrect, are we no longer worried that we're going to run afoul of the officials union on this? I mean, I'm, I'm certainly worried about it. And I think of it a little differently. I think of it as, cause we, I mean, we, we've lived through this before last year. Um, I, I think of it, I think of it like this. So in like, I want to say, I want to say Sweden, um, there's these like pro- there's these famous examples of um, companies like McDonald's trying to enter the marketplace and not unionize with the restaurant workers union. And like, yeah, like no violence was done to them, but the other unionized sectors would be like, oh, maybe McDonald's stuff doesn't get logged, doesn't get uh, unloaded off the off the off the boat today. Yeah. You know, or maybe like there's no trucker available to transport anything to any of their stores. You know, it's like we're slow playing. Like we're slow playing. You it's know? like I see four truckers not loading anything. Yeah, they're busy. <laughs> yeah. So it's um. I mean, I mean, we'll 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 get to we'll get a chance to see it with our own eyes. Uh, what happens? But I'm, I'm definitely worried about it because Pat Noonan complained about it in the press conference he complained about it i think to lance McAllister, 
um, Chris Albright, you know, made a complaint and got pro to the organization to admit the ref made a mistake, you know, and this, I could see the refs closing ranks on this. Yeah. Cause we've seen it before. Now here's my other question too, since this is all union politics and this is the segment of the postcast since Kevin's not around, we can really nerd out about labor and employment law. Yeah, thank God he's not here. Right? The hell with that guy. Um, yeah, the only the avowed socialist isn't here to talk labor unions. So um, if, if we do run afoul of pro, if they close ranks, is there justification for a generalized strike by the fan base until the quality of officiating improves? Can we effectuate change as a fan base? I don't know, because who are you hurting? How do you, how do we how do we strike against the refs? Well, I was thinking it would probably take some cues from what's going on over in France, and maybe if we all just like stormed the field and sat there, oh, like physically struck them with our fists? No, 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 no. I mean, you do you, but like you know, I'm not going to call for anyone to rush the field and and, and take a swing on um, right, right, of course not, but. You know, maybe if the we get a bad call, a red card, another PK goes uncalled, maybe just the entire Bailey calmly walks down and just sits on the field in nonviolent protest until the quality of officiating improves. I think the only the only recourse is to get the league to back you. I mean, if 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 it gets bad and it's unfortunate that you just have to accept it's bad a couple of times is getting the lead to back you because I don't know exactly the situation, but recall that like MLS is like a owner or like right. the owner or like half owner or something. The single of, entity owner of pro of pro referees. So, but then it's like, is the league going to go to bat for FC Cincinnati? On the one hand, I think no, but on the other hand, I think, we're a pretty good team this year and Chris Albright at least, you know, has friends, you know, so maybe, maybe I do think that that's the mitigating circumstance here is that like last year we were the new kids and it was still, Hey, you guys need to respect your place. You don't have the, you don't have the gravitas or the onions to criticize officiating when your team has finished in last place three years in a row. I think you can kind of screw with a team like that without consequences, but when you're screwing with a team that's at the top of the table and is objectively yeah. considered to be a good team, I think it's I think it's a little different. I don't know. We could also try to file a lawsuit to decertify their union. We could try that, too, if things get really bad. I don't know. Maybe, uh, if, we know, maybe if we know some lawyers, we could work on that. MLS probably could, I guess. We file like a concerned citizen with the NLRB to decertify their union. I think that's so. You I mean, can Texas file, has bounty laws for everything. Can we sue in Texas? You could file an unfair labor practice charge, no matter who you are. Like anybody who's 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 who knows about an unfair labor practice charge can file one. Um, there's a there's a guy who um, kind of makes a sport out of it like he filed one against wwe uh one against a conservative magazine when like their owners came out and you know made comments about how they were going to retaliate against uh uh union uh 
if their employees try to unionize. Yeah. So like, you know, you could do something. It's not going to go anywhere probably, but you right. can do something. You could try. Yeah. Didn't stop those people that wrote, let's get it on. What was the Marvin Gaye and his people? Good job on that one, by the way. More law talk. Anyway, um, question. We'll put a bit. We'll put a ribbon on this. Uh, how many calls will we get heinously fucked on this weekend? Over. I'll set the over under at one and a half. Are you taking the over or the under? I'll go. I'll take the over. Um, I think. I think we somehow end up with a disproportionate amount of yellow cards again. Yeah. Uh, Barrial probably gets himself suspended for the Montreal game. And OB goes into the Montreal game one away. <laughs> the nightmare scenario for Hell is Real continues. Don't need that. Uh, the uh, TQL is going to turn openly hostile if officiating gets bad. Um, all right, moving on, because I have a rundown, and we're sticking to a format tonight. Number two on the list that I've got for this evening in the uh, our opening segment here. We got word today that our good friend, your favorite player on FC Cincinnati, a man who you share many of your ideals, hopes, and dreams with, Jeff Cameron announced that he is retiring from soccer, which means that we can finally put to bed the oft-mentioned item on this podcast that, hey, maybe Jeff Cameron will show back up and solve some of the center back death pro- depth problems. Um, your thoughts on the career of Jeff Cameron? Uh, my thoughts are it was a great career. I mean, he's not mentioned i think among the all-time great american players but um i pulled up just a couple of quick stats on him he has 168 appearances in the premier league that's fifth all-time among american players it's second among field players so the only players with more uh premier league the only american players with more appearances than him are Brad Friedel, Tim Howard, Casey Keller, and Clint Dempsey. And that's like... That's elite company. That's elite company. You know, and it's not an accident. It's not like he just slid by. You know, like he was an important player for, admittedly, like not a top-of-the-table team, but how many... But that's... But who? who that's who, all Ameri- Americans in the Premier, yeah, like, Premier what League. Ameri- like, what American is featuring in a top of the table team? I mean, Christian Pulisic struggles to get a ten minutes here and there with Chelsea, and he's far and away the most successful American in terms of team rostered with in table position. Yeah, like being on a mid-table team that stuck around the Premier League and wasn't in the relegation yo-yo zone—that's a hell of an accomplishment for an outfield player. And you know, Cameron was MLS best eleven his second year in the league. Uh, he was a two-time All-Star, and he wasn't. And he wasn't, you know, in the league that long before he went to the went to the Premier League. You know, he made an MLS Cup. They didn't win it, but you know, he's got 55 appearances with the national team. He was at the 2014 World Cup, which was a pretty good, successful by our our standards World Cup. And uh, he played in the 2016 Copa America, where we made the semifinals and ran into uh Lionel Messi. Yeah. So does he make your Mount Rushmore of American soccer? No, but it's not a silly question. Yeah. I would say. Like think about so we talk about how much better the players are today than we had in in the past for right. US US soccer. And like it's probably true 
it's but, prob it's probably true in so much as that the average in the median of talent on the team has gone up. But like if you give me just a player with Jeff Cameron's background, resume, and skill level in his age prime right now, he's still starting on this US men's national team. Like a, a center back playing on yeah. a mid table EPL team, he's absolutely starting. <laughs> yeah, and um you know, I take a guy like like Brendan Aronson, right? Who's right. who's widely considered a you know really really good player, young up and coming player with a bright future. I think he's a good player, but like you watch you watch like Leeds this year. Do do you think he's if if you had to bet on it, would you say yes? That's a guy. Who's going to play 170 games? No, in the Premier League. No, and man, I don't, I don't know. That's a long way to go. 170 games in the Premier League. You're talking about being a locked on starter for the better part of five years in the Premier yeah, I'm not, League. So I'm not trying to denigrate Brendan Aronson with that. Right, what no, I'm it's saying just, it's is an like accomplishment. It's how hard that accomplishment is. Like you look, Tim Ream's been around forever. the The majority of his career in England has been in the Championship. Yeah. He's only got 79 appearances in the Premier League, and most of those have come in the last, you know, three, four years. Yeah. I think I'd put him in. I think that if you're you're the problem with like doing an American soccer Mount Rushmore is that it's hard not to have like three goalkeepers on that list. And that just feels yeah. like a major cop out to say, oh, you know, Casey Keller, Tim Howard, Tony Miola. Like you can't put all three of them and then you're, you're not even you're missing like brad friedel still like before right. you even before you even get to that so so i i guess off the top of my head and i and look this is not a strongly held opinion by any means right i put this you on the spot just, so this is just absolutely knee jerk so like i reserve the right to disagree later but i mean clint dempsey landed donovan yeah on there um Brad Friedel over Tim Howard. It's a tough one, but I think yeah. so. I don't hate it, um, but I'm only going to go one of them. I'm not going to put them both on there. I just, right. I just feel it doesn't feel right to include um, include two goalies on a Mount Rushmore that's four players. You're right. Um, and that's maybe anti-goalie bias. I'm sorry. I confess. I'm, you know, I'm not perfect. Um, We're trying to break the American stereotype that all we can do is use our hands. Man, and then beyond that, it's like everybody who comes to mind are guys who, you know, had short periods where they were at the height of their powers, but right. like didn't have that. We thought like like a, like a John O'Brien, right? Like yeah is somebody who they thought was going to be like a world-class player and was a great, great player, but not John Harks, not for a long period of time. And no. he had injury and like, yeah, John Harks first American in the premier league. Like that's, that's a pretty, pretty good argument. U S national team captain in the nineties when the national team really like burst on the scene. Um, so I don't know. I mean, 
There's an I would argument. say Jeff Cameron. I would say Jeff Cameron's got to be on anybody's, you know, medium or long list for it. If you're being honest, yeah, yeah. And then I mean, there's the other thing too, where it's he came to FC Cincinnati and stabilized and played well on one of the worst teams in MLS history. And I'll tell you what, as as impressive as starting that many games in the Premier League is, the fact that he helped make this defense not awful when he was here is. That might be the first line item I put on this Hall of Fame plaque in um, Dallas. Is that where the American Soccer Hall of Fame is? Oh, shit. I don't know. Uh, it's either Dallas or Houston. It's attached to one of the two stadiums. I just never remember which one in Texas it is. I, mean, I don't know. But, yeah, he'll, he'll be there. Yeah, he'll be there. Anyways, um, speaking yeah. of world You class, buried the lead. I did? Yeah, Breck Shea also retiring. Oh. <laughs> Fuck. And they're apparently going right. to business together. I to do what? Like sell daiquiris? Like Shay and Cameron? Like I don't LBA? know. It was it was unclear. But they also are going to be playing for Stoke City in the soccer tournament. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. Where put a pin in that? We'll be talking about that in a second. Speaking of world class athletes, the World Cup, great tournaments that Jeff Cameron uh, made a name for himself in. We're going to be releasing a player to the U-20 World Cup, Kimi Ordonez, released from the FC Cincinnati roster to participate in the event for his home country. A little bit of controversy on this because there were at least a couple teams in MLS that did not release players to participate in this tournament. Um, So I I pose this to you. I pose this to us as two-thirds of a thoroughly mediocre soccer podcast given FC Cincinnati's roster constraints, given its lack of scoring prowess, given the unknown status of Brenner, even for this weekend, would you release Kimi Ordonez for this tournament? Um, so it's a good question. And I don't think it's as easy as people, as people think because they're, they're paid by their, by their club team to play for the club team. Yep. You know, and you got to remember, first and foremost, these are professional soccer teams. Your job week in, week out is to win games, not to like pay people to go on vacation in Argentina. Now, you know, Chicago didn't release Chris Brady or Brian Gutierrez. Yep. Um, Ellie Galaxy didn't release uh, Jalen Neal. Um, but on the flip side, uh, I think I saw on Twitter that Cade Cowell is being released by San Jose, and Philly is releasing uh, their three guys: uh, McGlynn, Sullivan, and I forget the other guys. The other guy's name, but um, sh- that's a shocking number of names to recall. Anyway, so that's impressive. Even yeah, if you so, forget the last one, so they. Um, I I don't think it's I don't think it's like I just don't think it's a clear cut question, and I do think that that you have to approach it recognizing first and foremost that like your job is to is to win games and you know it's it's a kind of a shame that Kimi won't be available for the open cup for example yeah like he would have seen minutes even though he's not a you know starter or even like a first guy off the bench for, for FC Cincinnati you know it's a with like you said Brenner's situation being somewhat up in the air and the Open Cup game, and then having like a Wednesday, Saturday, I think, yeah. I think two yeah. weeks in a row. Yeah, because we have Wednesday Open Cup well, we have next Saturday, week. Saturday, Wednesday, and then Wednesday, Saturday. 
Yeah, because we have Open Cup next week on Wednesday, and then the week after we have Montreal, I think, on, on Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah. yeah, so we're, I think we have, if you count, I think four matches in two weeks, I think. Or no, it's, yeah, four matches in two weeks when you count this weekend. So it's um, it's going to be interesting, I guess. Here's, here's, here's where I fall on it. Sorry to interrupt. No, good. But yeah. just to close, close my thought, I, I, I still think you release him. Um, and my main reasoning is uh, he's a big player for Guatemala. He's going to get a lot of playing time in the U-20 World Cup. Um, I haven't looked at what group they're in, but I assume they're going to be playing at least one quality team in that group. And then um, there's going to be global scouts there. So if right. there's a chance to like, we know he balls out at that level. So there's a chance to get Kimi in, the, in front of some global scouts and uh, get him some some exposure. Maybe some people get interested in a 19-year-old with attacking player with some upside. You know, I think that's a I think that's a important consideration. Yeah. I think this is a tough consideration and I like I I think what you I agree with you what you said it's a tougher call than it appears to be on his face because it would be an easy call to me if Kimi was either a locked-on starter in this team or a guy that you were counting on to give 20, 30 minutes a game or conversely, if he was just at FCC two and not a part of the conversation at all, but he is yeah. occupying this very weird space on this roster of um, there's every chance in the world. He might not see a minute of time or might not have seen a minute of time against DC this weekend, but there's every chance in the world. You might've needed him for 30, 20, 30 minutes in this match. Same thing in the Open Cup. Are we going to survive without him? Yeah, probably, because I think there's a decent shot that Brenner probably plays some significant minutes in that game if we don't see him over the weekend here versus D.C. But because he's not the... You can't guarantee that he's going to be playing MLS matches. I think not releasing him would have sent a poor message to him, to other players who are young players in your system that... Because it's for you're playing for your country, and at the end of the day, when you have an opportunity to represent your country that you have, you're in the system of not releasing players to do that. I just think that that's that's how you build a toxic culture. I think in your your organization, you build a reputation for yourself as not a player centric organization, and all for what for the possibility that Kimi might be needed. So I I think yeah, that I if, if you were if you were gonna if you were gonna hold him, I think you gotta commit to playing him a shitload in some MLS games. Um and I just don't think that they're in a position to do that. Now if he was a starter Oh keep him. He has to stay I, if he's a starter. I would say yes I would say he has to stay. Like if this is if this is, you know, Yersin Mascara yeah. getting called in. I know he's 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 overage, but you know, theoretically right. if there was like a you you know, if if he was getting called in for a youth World Cup by Colombia, I would say no. It's like, frankly, better for the player. Like it's it's a higher level of competition. He's playing against grown men, right? You know, no, I, I agree completely. And he helps the team. Kimi not available. Also not available. It appears this weekend. Um, Santiago Arias uh, still on the injury list. Still uh, in the dreaded working off to the side designation. In the reporting of both Pat Brennan and Laurel Failer this week, uh, according to the latest from Laurel as well, news dropping this afternoon that Brenner uh, is available for selection, but it turns out had been nursing something of an injury 
Um, your mileage may vary on the accuracy of that, that had kept him out of training previous to this. And the concern with usage on Saturday being that he has simply not trained enough over these past two weeks to really have a great handle on to what contribution level he's going to offer. So two-part question, compound question. This will get you thrown out of any evidence class in any reputable law school. Uh, first part of the question, concern level about the ongoing history, uh, ongoing injury history of Santiago Arias. And second part of this question, in what role and for how long do we see Brenner this weekend? So the first question is, I'm, I'm still not, I'm still not concerned about the injury history um, of of Arias. I mean, my my goal coming into the season was twenty appearances in all comps for him, and he's healthy for the playoffs. That's still achievable. Yeah. Um, it does. I think Pat uh, tweeted, maybe Laurel did too. I just didn't see it that he's expected to join the full group. Uh, for training next week, so we'll see. Um, we'll see how that goes. I think it makes sense, especially early in the season, to to be cautious with him. I mean, at some point he's going to have to play, and it's very possible at the end of the year, especially after you know his the salary drop is going to be coming in like a week or two, based on what it based on what it usually. What do you think that number is going to be? By the way. Man, I don't even want to. I don't even want to speculate because you, I, I feel like probably like a million dollars. Yeah, like Tam, not Max Tam, but yeah, somewhere in the Tam range. I was thinking one my in my head. I don't know why I stuck on this number. But like one point one million was what I had sort of in my mind as to what he's probably on for a wage bill right now. Yeah, I, I, I didn't look up what he was on at uh, Atletico Madrid, but I'm sure it was. It was. I'm sure it was much higher. Yeah. Um. So. So yeah. I mean, we we might look back at the end of the year and say that one. That one didn't pan out. Yeah. But it depends. But this is one where I'm saying we can't really judge it until at least at least midpoint of the season. I'm acutely aware that if this was Yapstam. Or not Yapstam, but Gerard Nijkamp that had made this signing and had signed a player who came with an injury history and has been unable to remain fit during the uh, the season and has, you know, looked varying degrees of quality when fit. Um, I think Albright gets a much, much, much bigger grace period. Or not grace period, that's the wrong word for it, but you know, just... He, he gets the benefit a, of the doubt. Yeah, and he took a swing on Arias, and I'm happy he did because it's one of those signings where you just sort of have to accept the realities of MLS, and there's no way to get around that if you want superior talent at low dollar value contracts that fit in MLS and those non-DP roles, occasionally you're going to have to roll the dice on guys with questionable injury histories or who are coming off down seasons or coming off disappointing transfers and teams are looking to unload them. I think the difference between Albright, or I know the difference between Albright and Nightcamp, is that Nightcamp seemed to make a habit of bringing guys like that in, where you have Kamihilo Makocho, um, who is a Sem, or what was the guy, a Vanderwerf? Somebody, Van- Somebody young. Oh, Michael Sem- Vanderwerf. Michael yeah. Vanderwerf. Um, 
And really fitting into that mold, too, was Jurgen Lakadia, where it was a you were buying a depressed asset that was in free fall, it turns out, career free fall. And we just happened to buy him while he was on the way down. And there was no bounce back on that. So I think that where Albright understands this a little better than Nykamp did is that you have to sort of balance your your big swing for the fence options with also some solid doubles into the gap and guys that are high floor guys. And those are your Matt Miazgas and players like uh, Oban and Wobodo, where it's like, you know what you're going to get when you bring guys like that in. So I'm not worried. I think that even if Arias doesn't play starter minutes from this point forward, I don't have a problem with the signing. I mean, I guess I'll see what, what his, what his deal looks like, but I'm already expecting that to be a big number, but yeah, like you're you're hoping that a guy like him is is fit and ready to go for the home stretch, and you know when the games start meaning a lot, when the playoffs start coming around. But as we like said last what, year, they all matter. They all matter. Even the games now matter. <laughs> yeah, it, but it's it's much more valuable to have him available for like the Eastern Conference semifinals. Yes, than uh, for a May game against DC United. I agree. To the second issue the the Brenner situation with training tell me what you think about this because this is my take on the situation I do not believe Brenner will start against DC United I believe he will be available as a substitution uh, substitution to come on with about 25 minutes to play and then I expect he will get a significant run against NYC FC in the midweek for no other reason than just to get his legs back underneath him a little bit and give him some actual minutes playing at game speed. So I don't know that he is going to start games anytime soon, but I think that that 25 to 40 minute roll feels right for him. And he'll be on the shorter end of that, this game, the longer end of that against NYCFC. And then from that point onward, I think that he is a super sub off the bench where are you falling on this. I think I think if he plays, it's going to be largely if he plays for us ever again. It's going to be largely as a sub. Um, and um, I don't know. I I st- I don't think I don't think we see him this weekend. I think the soonest we see him is probably the uh, NYCFC game next week. Are you still of the mind that perhaps we're not going to see him? Or has the reporting that has come out since his return to the United States, has that put your mind at ease at all and taken that scenario off the table? I, I, I'm 50-50 on it. I mean, yeah. maybe we see him again. Maybe we don't. I think if we do see him again, it's going to be more in a sub role. Um, it just seems like, you know, he's got, he's got one foot out the door. And he's not like what's his what's his motivation to like go all out for ninety minutes week in week out? It's and we've seen him as a player, you know, who's had. I don't want, let's say it, you know. Questions of of what's in it for him, you know, for when he when he plays and goes, and when he doesn't. So if Brenner is going to be your super sub on in the say, we'll say let's let's split the baby and we'll say the 65th minute, somewhere around that range, Brenner's coming on. Is Brenner coming on to replace Brandon Vasquez or Sergio Santos in this scenario? Sergio Santos. 
does it change your opinion at all if Brandon Vasquez doesn't score a goal this weekend or next weekend? No. Yeah. Well, he's not going to score a goal next weekend because there's no game on the 13th. Well, there is that. So, so that that's just continuing my narrative. Brandon <laughs> Vasquez will go have yet another goal this weekend next weekend. No, that's not going to matter because he's going to score five goals this weekend. We'll get to that in our preview right now. Um, last bit on Brenner. There is terrorist chatter out there in the ether. I don't want to attribute it to any one source. It's just out there. I've seen it. I think you've seen it because everybody trades screenshots of things being sent, tweeted, and everything and whatnot. That Brenner, that there is a disagreement between the club and Brenner as to when exactly his last day in Cincinnati is going to be. Do you think Brenner stays beyond the magical June 1st date? Yeah, I think the club has said. The club has said it's July 1st and other reporting has said it's July 1st. I mean, they said his last game is going to be July 1st against New England. Right. Um. It would so, be kind of a would be kind of a little bit of an egg on the face if Brenner just like pieces out on June first after they've said repeatedly that he's staying here till July. <laughs> I mean, I get. I mean, if he if he pieces, I'm pretty sure they don't have to pay him, right? So, you know, he, he can. You can't. They don't, we don't have like like slavery. They can't make him play. Be but they don't. Cool. Have to, It'd be a lot cooler if they could, because but they don't have to. Isn't doing too well right now. <laughs> but they don't have to pay him, right? If he if he unilaterally pieces out, which is why I think they're trying to get some type of agreement from the team to let him go, because then they pay him out through June, right? And like, sorry, like Pat Noonan said it to uh, Lance this week. He's still in FC's today, May 4th, May 5th, whatever. He's still an FC Cincinnati player. Yeah. That's who's writing the checks. I would like, I am hoping, I know that there's this this idea out there that I'm an anti-Brenner person. I do want him to score a shitload of goals on his way out the door just because it would be really funny to me if this is when the offensive explosion happens. But to reiterate, and I... hate the fact that I need to keep saying this. No one is mad at Brenner for going to Italy. It's just that this situation has been handled, I think, and I don't think I'm alone in this one, incredibly poorly by Brenner and his agent since basically January of last year. I don't think they've done a very good job of doing what they need to do or what he needs to do to extricate himself from Cincinnati in a way that doesn't screw over the team because he's not getting his way. But we shall see. Um, on to a lighter note here. Um, we talked previously about the uh, the soccer tournament. Word comes out today, Chad Johnson, knee Ocho Cinco, joining the Natty SC. Thoughts? Yeah. All yeah. for it. <laughs> All for it. Yeah. Yeah, why not? <laughs> it, sounds like, it sounds like it's going to be a fun tournament. Like, it absolutely and I think, does. And I think that that... That makes it more fun. Like it's it's cool that Chad Johnson is going to be there. Um, and I'm glad that I'm glad that they I'm glad they got it over the line. Yeah, and I think it's it's good for I don't know 
I'm sure the content will be electric. I'm sure that he'll have a microphone in front of him at all times and anything to raise the profile of what's going on with this and well, to draw did, more attention is a good thing. Didn't didn't uh, didn't Mike Millay say that uh, they were planning to make because he he does like a his like business is some type of content creation. I think he said that they're going to make like a some type of like mini documentary or something. Right. About the team's tournament. And yeah, like this, if you weren't already interested in watching it, this has to, this has to make you raise your eyebrows. Absolutely true. And it's one of those things too, where like you get Chad Johnson involved in something. And then all of a sudden this is on the radar to soccer nerds. And they, in order for this to be anything approaching a success, they've got to get it on the radar for people who are, you know, it's the, you go to an FC Cincinnati game. Not everyone at an FC Cincinnati game loves soccer. There's a lot of people that just like a night out, like sports. And if they happen to go to a soccer game to get their fix, so much the better for it. But, like, I labor under no disillu- no uh, illusions that all of the people at TQL Stadium know all the players or know the formations, know the tactics. They may know some of the stars, but those are the people you need to get interested in the soccer tournament, people that are okay watching a soccer game but really don't care that deeply or follow the sport too deeply and that oh, chad johnson is the kind of person that'll get people to at least google what the hell is this thing that chad johnson is playing and that's the win in modern marketing i think am i uh am i wrong or just make this up in my head is is ryan reynolds going to be playing for a Wrexham team what do you mean like playing that would be electric if ryan reynolds was actually playing I feel like I feel like he is. Oh no, no. Like I was gonna say, I don't think Ryan Reynolds has ever seen a soccer ball prior to buying Rex. No, he's not gonna play. I think I think that may have um, that may have been a a Twitter rumor. Yeah, but that would that would have been cool. I mean, potentially you have Chad Johnson squaring up with Jeff Cameron. That's God. that's pretty fun. two two proud Floridians. Yeah, two people. Um, because you know somebody's gonna two foot right into Chad Johnson just because, like, because he lost him a fantasy football, um, competition. Or who's gonna really go after Chad Johnson? I predict is anyone that drafted him in that season when he played for the Patriots, and everyone was like, "Oh yeah, Chad Johnson, Tom Brady, this is gonna be awesome." And then everybody forgot that the Patriots and Tom Brady expect like German engineering and precision in their route running. And Chad is very much a, I'm going to go that way and get open. That didn't work well for Tom. And there were a lot of people out there that didn't quite realize that before spending a third or a fourth round fantasy football pick on Mr. Ocho Cinco during that season. So I don't know. What's your hype level for the soccer tournament? Where are you at on this? One to 10. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a seven. Yeah. Six or seven sounds right about this. I'll be way more into it once they actually start playing. I think the yeah. games are on TV somewhere. Yeah, they'll be they'll be watchable in some in some respect. Um, there's like some real uh, it's like some real players in this in this thing. I'm just excited for everyone's favorite team, Wrexham, to show up on American soil for the first time and to see how true those allegiances truly are. How many of you that were that are buying the not the National League streaming packages at eight dollars a pop will watch the soccer tournament. You're out there. I know you are. Did you see that? We don't. Did you see that article where the guy was like, "Could Wrexham? How would Wrexham do in the MLS?" It was in the Athletic. 
I did not see this, but this is I know this is gonna make me angry. It was it was dumb. It was extremely yeah. dumb. And basically he said like basically he said like if they were in MLS, they would have more money and get to and get to, and sign better players and get to sign DPs. And it's like, yeah. all right. Yeah. No. That's like no. it's like me saying like FC, if FC Cincinnati was in the Premier League, they'd have a two hundred million dollar wage budget. Like it, it's that's not what the absurd. thought exercise is. No. So well, is, don't read the article, people. It's a not, waste of time. Not only is that not the thought exercise, and I'm already giving this more thought than it, it needs to, but like all right, so this this is actually there's a local component to this too. All right, so follow me on this one. The big problem with the Cincinnati Reds is that, or there's a lot of big problems with the Cincinnati Reds, but one of the biggest problems with the Cincinnati Reds is that Bob Castellini is rich, but he's not own a sports team in 2023 rich. Like, own a sports team in 2023 rich is you've got to have nine, ten billion dollars in the bank to where. If your team goes out and you need to spend in cash $150 million on payroll for a year just to get your team competitive, and if it's a risk that you're going to break even, that's not the end of the world because you've got $10 billion. Like, people need to understand a little bit that Ryan Reynolds and Rob McAnally are rich. They are not own a Premier League team rich. That is an entirely different level of wealth that like, I don't know what Ryan Reynolds net worth. I looked this up a while ago. He's worth, you know, millions and millions of dollars. There's no B anywhere in the in the Wrexham thing. Um, So, yeah, the idea that they could just like come over to MLS and buy DPs and stuff like that, maybe. But the wage bill for Wrexham isn't even as high as an MLS team would be. And I think Wrexham probably makes about the same revenue when you factor in all these Hollywood streams and their streaming show on Hulu. I don't know how much the revenue difference is between Wrexham and an MLS team. It's the cash value of the ownership that's the big difference here. Like yeah, Carl, I mean, Linder, Carl Linder could buy and sell Wrexham 150 times over. Yeah, I think the article said Wrexham's wage bill was... Under five million dollars, yeah, which is like a decent USL team, maybe not even a decent USL team. Right. I mean, you're really talking like their rate, their total wage bill is less than I think probably Brenner, um, Wobodo, and Lucho make, or it's close. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I do. I do explain this to a coworker that there isn't a single player on Wrexham that would even see the bench at FC Cincinnati. Maybe what's, what's the keeper's name? The guy that played in the premier league forever. Oh, um, is it Ben Foster? Ben Foster. Ben Foster would probably make FC Cincinnati's roster just on pedigree alone. But like, yeah, know. but then you have to take into account like the fact what his wage demands would be in his age. Right. But if it was just like, we're, we're putting him in the goalkeeper room. Right. And we're taking the three best keepers. Yeah, he probably is. He probably has a shot. But like, uh, what's his name? Mullen, their big striker for Wrexham. I mean, he doesn't even make the eighteen for FC Cincinnati. Like, Kimi Ordonez might be a better striker than Paul Mullen. Um, and that's not hyperbole. It's just people need to understand just how low down the National League is in terms of the soccer pyramid in the UK. Um, 
Yeah, and it, it seems like Wrexham is more built like a League Two team. Even but even so, even so, like FC FC Cincinnati would wreck League Two. Yes, I think. So we'll, we'll put it this way: I don't know that there is anyone on FC Cincinnati right now that would take a contract in League Two. That if you offered a contract. All right, that's a great question. Is there anyone that you can think of right now that gets regular minutes for FC Cincinnati that would take a contract in League Two? Because I think the answer is easily no. I don't. I don't think so. Nobody that gets. Nobody that gets. Nobody that gets regular minutes. Yeah, they're better than that league. So maybe uh, like somebody can, from FCC two. Yeah, FCC two. That's a different story. But you're like, what's this guy name? What's the guy's name? Like Ben Stith. Ben Stitz. I don't know. The, the Stith Lord. I don't know. Um, and the other thing, too, about League Two is that most people, if they're going to make it to Europe, they're waiting for their opportunity to make it to a better league than League Two. So there's not a lot of people that are like, yeah, I'm going to jump to get to Europe to go to League Two. That's just not a not a career path anyone takes. Anything else from FC Cincinnati we need to discuss here in segment one? I don't think so. I don't think so either. Slow news week, but that's a good thing. It's a... It is a good thing when it's a slow news week when you're a top-of-the-table team. When you're a bottom-of-the-table team and it's a slow news week, it's usually because crippling depression is sunk in and you're just not eager to follow anything that's going on. But there's just not a lot. All right. Well, stick with us through the music. And in segment two, your favorite subject, my favorite subject, in the 11 out of the 18. So stay tuned through the advertising break. we're back um one day we are going to do a live read there and make more than 60 cents i really do believe that um but (laughs) you dozen people out there are going to have to tell a dozen of your friends to listen but don't tell them to listen to this episode tell them to wait to listen to an episode where kevin is actually offering proper hosting duties anyway in the 11 out of the 18 you know the drill grayson what's in the 11 this week for you in my 11 is uh this uh this Reddit thread, um, as people may have seen, uh, Messi is leaving Paris Saint-Germain and he's long been rumored to be going to inner Miami. Um, there have been reports more recently that Saudi, uh, Saudi Arabia is looking to offer him something in the neighborhood of 400 million euros a year. Um, which is a lot more than than Ronaldo's getting, and Ronaldo was already getting like something in like the upwards of two hundred. Um, so it's not clear he's going to come to MLS. But there was a Reddit thread that um somebody posed the question: What would it take for Cincinnati to be a viable option for huge stars like Messi? Huh. Um, and the first thing is. If you believe MLS reporting, Kansas City was a viable, and I, I, don't, be I, don't, clear, believe, I don't, I don't believe, I this. don't believe this. <laughs> but real journalists put their name on this story, so you have to at least like acknowledge it that Kansas City was an option for Ronaldo. So if that were true, 
then I would say FC Cincinnati is already an option for stars like Messi. Because what's Kansas City going to give you that Cincinnati can't? Um, Apparently a lot if you believe the World Cup Selection Committee um, from this past summer. And then my and then, and then my second my second comment I guess is just like I'm not sure there are stars like Messi. No. Um, I think <laughs> FC Cincinnati, if it had a senior DP spot available, would spend the money on a star, and could get a star to come play here. Um, but there are no stars like Messi. No. No, Messi is a singular entity. It, it, he is. He is. He's the, depending on your point of view, you're either incorrect and think he's the second best player in the world or you're correct and think he's the best player in the world. What we do have in Cincinnati to entice him is Lucho Acosta, who's apparently his best bud. We learned that at the World Cup this past year. So, yeah, that best Lucho, bud means Messi knows, knows who he is. Yeah, Messi's aware of him, which is more than we can yeah. say for just about 99% of MLS, I'd say. So we've got that going yeah. for us. Um, I saw this thread. Uh it's interesting because the thought it always gets brought up when we have these conversations that well location it it matters and it doesn't matter because somehow people are recruited to play in Newcastle upon Tyne which I've taken a train through but I'm told is nothing special by people who have been there same thing with Liverpool in Manchester. Manchester is a working class town in the UK. It's not exactly on most people's who are young, affluent, incredibly athletically gifted and with a lot of money, not high on the place of uh, list of places most people would want to live um, if given the option to do so. Green Bay, Wisconsin recruits people to play in the National Football League. I know it's not a one-to-one um, correlation because of the monopoly the NFL has and the limited number of options you have to play places, but it does seem like it's a big hurdle to get world-class European talent to come to the Midwest, and it's almost to the, a level where I don't wonder if at some point if this league maintains a single-entity structure and maintains this salary cap structure. If, like, when you go work for the federal government, they have locality pay, where, like, if you sign up to be a, a government employee in Washington, you get a locality bonus versus what you would be in Ohio because it just costs more to live there. Would it ever make sense to have, like, an inverse locality budget to where there's additional money available or there's additional things that? incentives for a player to sign in a place like Cincinnati or Kansas City um, or Salt Lake City where, you know, hey, they offer Messi a or not Messi because it's ridiculous, but they offer some player a, you know, twenty five million dollars a year. And if you sign in a Midwestern city, maybe MLS kicks in another 10 million to make sure that we have a competitive balance here. Does something like that make sense or would something like that ever be needed? Um. I think so. Like, so you can't do this with single entity because they're so committed to not competing with each other. But uh, right. I remember uh, the Enquirer had an interview some some time ago, uh, maybe even months ago, with Chris Albright, and he made a comment that you know John Thorington at LAFC has players 
lining up to take two thirds pay cuts to live on Manhattan Beach. Yeah. And like there's probably some hyperbole there, but remember, like the GMs see each other's contracts. Yes. So there's a portal that they'll get posted in. So Chris Albright knows what LAFC is paying these players and he knows what he thinks FC Cincinnati would have to pay these players to get them to come here. He's also talking to agents, too, that are probably telling him, hey, my guy, you know, nothing against you. My guy really wants to go to L.A. or Miami or New York. I mean, I'm sure he hears that a lot. Yeah. So. I feel like since these teams and like NYCFC is true, too, because they're getting all these loans from other city football group teams and city football group just bought Bahia in uh, Brazil uh, added to their empire. So. um. It feels like there should be some check where if L.A. reveals a contract and it's like some star player who any other team would have to sign as a DP, um, that another team could come in and say, like, no, this is below market and we're, we're we could make an offer to him that, you know, makes him a DP or, right. you know, doubles his salary or something. The problem with this is, and it's the problem with MLS as a single entity organization, is that MLS is incentivized to ensure that if a top quality European player wants to come to the United States, that they're going to come to the United States. Like if Messi goes to MLS and says to MLS, I would like to play in MLS. The only place I want to play is Miami. I want to live there. I want to retire to Miami. And when he says this, let's pretend for the sake of argument, Miami already has three DPs. I would bet every dollar in my wallet that the next morning, Don Garber announces a fourth DP initiative. And it just so happens that, oh, the fourth DP initiative will be first utilized by Inter-Miami to sign Lionel Messi. They will never let the rules get in the way of bringing a star here. And so the problem with all this is that if you say to like FC Cincinnati, you can say, oh, that's a below market value. Um, You're not allowed to come here. There's every incentive in the world for MLS to say, uh, Gareth Bale gets to go where he wants to so that we can have Gareth Bale playing in games here. Zlatan gets to go where he wants to because Zlatan being an MLS is better for the league as a whole. There just needs to be some way, and I just I don't know what it is because I'm not smart enough to figure this out, that balances that in some way that makes it so that coming to Cincinnati is a delightful alternative to living on Manhattan Beach, and I just don't know what that is. Like more GAM to small small market teams so that they can have more more room under the salary cap because they're not getting you know discounts on... On players, I don't know. I mean, it. I mean, probably the answer is just you got to live with it. Yeah, it's just because, it's unavoidable because it isn't even to a certain extent. It isn't even a money situation. It's just a simple thing of that. Like, I have options. I don't want to live in Cincinnati, Ohio. If there's no amount of money you can pay me that will make me want to live in Cincinnati, Ohio, or Kansas City, or even like you know, even Orlando for that matter. Like you know, they spend all want more to- money on scouting. Yeah. Tough shit. You Life's know, find find the next Sergio Santos playing in, you know, Chile, or Jose Martinez willing to come to MLS on a quarter of a million dollars a year, when most other players of his quality are, you know, at least Tam. Right. 
but what yeah. is out of your 18 out of my 18 is um the obsession with faithful adaptations is this because um, the new dune trailer came out no okay no but i, I i do i do have thoughts about thoughts about dune <laughs> but, <laughs> i'm um, aware <laughs> but but uh uh there was that that announcement with uh you know harry the harry potter series they're doing right. which is supposed to be like a more faithful adaptation which means they're just going to i guess include everything from the book um and then you see this a lot of times like people get mad at the fact that something was changed without thinking about like is this a good change or a bad change right cuz like right you books books are not like perfect so i think that i think the focus should be on um not on like whether you can change something you can change something the question should be is the change i'm making making it better period right and like the starship troopers movie is a movie i love i i not I, a faithful I, I adaptation love, of the book I, lo- I love this movie so much this was one not of the, a faithful adaptation was, of the book at all that movie was high on my list of when we were looking at movies over the winter time to watch starship troopers is one that i come back to over and over again it's just an, i unabashedly love everything about that movie i've read the book too the book is fantastic for completely different reasons but the movie is so any movie where you get a character to look directly at the camera and deadpan, they sucked out his brains is just you're an instant classic as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah. No, I agree with you. Um, if we were just strangely enough, a coworker and I were talking about this today. This idea that in order to adapt something to film, and we were talking about this specifically in the context of comic book movies, it's just that like. Film and a movie requires just a different method of storytelling than a book can offer. And you're going to have to make changes. Otherwise, your movie is going to be three, four hours long, or you're going to have to slice and dice it so much that you just end up with, you know, plot, you know, vomiting all over the screen to try and cover for the fact that your characters can't have an internal monologue in a movie the way they can in the book. Um. So yeah, it it this Harry Potter thing, other than all of the J.K. Rowling hates trans people uh, jokes that got made about this in terms of what characters are going to be in this, and the fact that this is all just to erase Daniel Radcliffe from the Harry Potter movie series because he's come out in favor of trans rights. Um, yeah. I don't know. It just This is one of those things, too, where was the world clamoring for a remake of Harry Potter any kind of remake of Harry Potter, what, 15, 20 years after the movie started airing? Like, everyone that this saw is, these is still alive. Like, this isn't like this isn't like they're offering a now faithful adaptation of, like, I don't know, like Dune, where, like, the original Dune movie came out when um, Lynch did it in, what, like, 1980? And it's like, okay. They yeah, waited, early they waited, 80s, I think. They waited 40 years, and now they can do a better adaptation because technology is better and just different things are around that just didn't exist back then. And uh, Villanueva is just not as, you know, a psychopath like Lynch was. Um, and I'm betting he's not going to make it rain at the end of this movie. Um, but anyway, like, th- that wasn't needed with Harry Potter. It just came out. Like, tell a new story. Do something different. 
Yeah, so with the Harry Potter thing, and this is this one is like firmly in not for me camp. So like I'm not necessarily begrudging anybody who wants to watch this. And I'm sure there's a market for it. But like I didn't watch any of the, I've seen the Harry Potter movies. I didn't I didn't have a thought during a single one of them like I man, I wish this was four times as long. Right. Or I didn't have any like I wa- I've read the books, I watched the movies, and at no point when I was watching the movies did I think, man, they really cut out a lot of important things from the book. I thought, shockingly, I think most people would agree with this, that the Harry Potter movies are actually some of the best book adaptations in terms of preserving the... Um, the spirit. The of spirit the, yeah. of the... Yeah. Without the, um, you know, without sacrificing. I don't know. It just... It, this is... It all goes to a bigger thing, too, where I think that the, that the idea of film is just dying and movies is dying and that the overwhelming majority of stuff now is just going to go to TV for these, like, streaming-type services. So, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't love it. No? I like, uh, like, um, like a, like a hundred-minute thing that is... Oh, uh, this, is, this is a longer movie, but I just watched, like, Man on Fire... Denzel. Last weekend, great yeah. movie, and that's like a two-hour, fifteen-minute movie. Did not feel long at all. Incredible movie, incredible, incredible movie. Like, would not be served by ha- by turning it into a, you know, six-part Amazon Prime series. I guess the okay. So let me I'll clarify this with a caveat. I don't think film is going away. Altogether, what I think is going away is I think like genre film is going away. Like if modern streaming existed right now as it does, I'd say eighty percent of the Marvel movies would never have been made. They'd just be TV shows, like six part limited series Iron Man, six part limited series Guardians of the Galaxy. They wouldn't be doing movies on that. Same thing with like Star Wars. Like I, I don't know why they're ever gonna make another Star Wars movie because you can just do a limited run TV series and tell the story you want to tell. And the the problem is, is that genre filmmaking, which Harry Potter falls into is it's like, this was Scorsese's criticism of the movies when he said Marvel movies aren't art or they aren't cinema or whatever it is, is it's like they're amusement park rides because it's got to get from one set piece to the next set piece, to the next set piece, and they've got to save the world at the end. And that's just too much shit to cram into a two-hour runtime for a movie. Um, it's not not a coincidence that like the best genre movies that have been released recently are low-stakes genre movies. Like everyone loves the original Iron Man. Why do they love the original Iron Man? Because the only thing at stake in the original Iron Man is who controls Stark Industries and whether or not Tony Stark will be able to rise above his arms dealer past and the legacy of his father to become his own man. He's not saving the planet in that movie. It's a small stakes story. So for all this like Harry Potter shit where there's like existential world changing crises, television is a much better medium for that. And the the film is just, I think that's going to go the way of the dodo. Saving, saving the kid is almost always more compelling than saving the world. Yes. Like you look at like man on fire Leon, um, like all types, you know, like the, the last of us, you know, uh, what's good about that is, is, is the characters and like, what's the investment the characters have in each other. And like man and fire spends like 
45 minutes. This is now turning into a Man on Fire podcast. I don't care. Sorry, I just, I just, I love this movie. I cannot tell you how much. They spend like 45 minutes just like developing the relationship between Denzel Washington and Dakota Fanning. Yeah, like, because it matters. Because like, you need a reason. Yeah. You need a reason to give a shit. There needs to be some reason. Why am I sitting here and continuing to watch this? And that was, you know, whenever a movie goes wrong, it's because at some point in the middle of it, I realize I just don't care. It was like, um, what was that awful um, Marvel movie that we both saw, where it was just like it was just a rehash of Chrono Trigger. Um, the Eternals, the one that came oh out. Oh, my that, God. Where, like, midway through this movie, I just realized I don't give a fuck about any of these people. I just don't care. Like, the giant hand can rip the planet apart. I don't I don't care. Like, I don't care what happens to any of these people. The only, like, personal stake I have in this film is that if you suspend your disbelief enough to think that this is Earth, on this planet somewhere, I also exist, and I would not like to be blown up by the giant hand. But all these people, I just I couldn't be bothered to care about them because it was just so... You can only tell me there's a crisis so many times before I'm finally like, just let me know when I need to run. There were moments watching The Eternals that I would not have minded being saved from like <laughs> finishing the movie by a giant hand just <laughs> destroying the earth. Like all of a sudden the crack in the earth opens up and like a finger starts poking through and you're just, oh, thank God, I couldn't have taken another minute of this fucking yeah, film. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's the end of Cabin in the Woods. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's Lavos is finally here. Thank God. Um you know what's, uh, what's, funny? what's in your eleven? Or no, say, what's, what's funny? I don't even. I was about to say I don't even remember what was, in, what was out of your eighteen. <laughs> Just uh, it was faith, faithful, faithful adaptations. The obsession with faithful adaptations. I think, tell the story you want to tell. You can change it. Just the change better better be good. Better right. Be, right. If, if it's not better than the original, just keep what's in the original. All right. Like, it, it, I'm not saying they have to have Aaliyah in Dune two. But if they don't, it better be done. It better be cooler. Like I, I better not miss her. Right. My only question is: Will the Fremen sex orgy still happen on IMAX? Oh yeah. Because <laughs> the sex orgy turned out so well in the Matrix Reloaded, another horrendously disappointing part two of a movie. In my eleven is uh, your favorite musician and my favorite musician, 50 Cent, uh, is coming to Cincinnati for the Get Rich or Dying uh, anniversary tour, the 20th anniversary, which makes me feel old as fucking dirt, uh, coming to uh, Riverbend with Busta Rhymes and Jeremiah, J-E-R-M-I-H, there's no A in there, so don't pronounce it. Um, I'm on record as saying on the post-Discord's group chat that I believe 50 Cent to be... One of the greatest rappers of all time, I believe, Get Rich or Die Trying to be the greatest rap album of all time. Um, I think the song Heat should be an anthem for FC Cincinnati. Uh, scale of 1 to 10, how excited are you for 50 Cent to come to Riverbend? And will you be joining Jonah and I at the concert? Um, I, I would go to this concert. I think, I think it's going to be a great show. It's absolutely going to be a great uh, show. It's going to be electric. So... I'd still, I would say I'm equally as excited as the TST seven. <laughs> Fifty Cent and TST on the same level. That's both simultaneously interesting and shocking. Um, Fifty Cent, uh, 
top of the list, I think, in terms of rappers for there are certain musical artists where you just don't realize how many bangers they have in their catalog until you start just listening to them on shuffle. Um, I experienced this with my uh, with my better half this week when I forget where it came up, but there's a David Bowie movie that's on Apple TV, maybe that they've just released or they're about to release. And she was blissfully unaware. Um, and I got to share this with her. Just how many bangers David Bowie has in the in the catalog. And yeah, this is going to yeah. this is going to come off as very flattering to, to Mr. Curtis Jackson. But similarly with 50 Cent, just banger after banger after banger. Um, you got to go a ways down the list before you get to Disco Inferno. And that song still goes hard, as does uh, the G unit when he was uh, with there with Lloyd Banks and Tony Yayo. They have an entire song on the first G unit album. People forget that uh, utilizes the theme song from the commercial My Buddy to talk about carrying guns around. And it's just it's every bit the incredible bit of nostalgia and violence that you think it would be so in my 11 50 cent huge fan i actually own the 50 cent video game blood on the sand that came out for the xbox 360 where the entire the entire plot of the game is 50 cent performing a concert for a middle eastern terrorist and then being paid with a diamond encrusted skull that gets stolen from him by other terrorists and then he just goes and kills terrorists to get his skull back and it's every bit as amazing as you think it would be. All right, I, you're rendered speechless by this. I, I've done yeah, my job. Yeah. I've done. I've done my job here. Um, out of my 18, uh, the legal profession. Um, I know that's going to come as a shock to listeners of this podcast who know who the two of us are. Um, today in London, I don't know if you saw this. Speak uh, for yourself. Or this was in London. This was New York. Ed Sheeran beat the rap on a lo- another lawsuit. That was filed because not the actual singer, not the actual songwriter, but the estate of the co-writer of Let's Get It On with Marvin Gaye had sued Ed Sheeran claiming copyright because one chord progression in um, Thinking Out Loud sounds kind of like a chord progression used in Let's Get It On. And I find this entire thing absurd. I find the idea that you can copyright a chord progression that sounds like another chord progression to be just absolutely absurd. And um, the smoking gun evidence, which, and this is where I really get upset about this, the smoking gun evidence produced by the plaintiffs in this case was in fact that they had a recording of a concert with Ed Sheeran where he'd been playing his song, had transitioned into Let's Get It On, and then transitioned back to his song, And that was their evidence that, well, of course, these songs are so similar. Even he acknowledges it by doing what millions of other concert uh, performers do of doing the time-honored tradition of the medley in the middle of your show. Um, So fuck every lawyer that was involved in this. Fuck anyone who is suing artists for trying to get rent-seeking behavior and squeeze a dollar out of people because somebody decides, hey, I think that sounds like something I did. So I hate all these people out of my 18 lawyers. Your thoughts on this entire profession? I always, th- I feel like, I always feel like whenever I hear about it, um, that like intellectual property is like kind of out of control where it's like you can't, you can't even, you can't even like say the name Mickey Mouse without throwing us like five bucks. Right. You know, and it's like, I get it. I get it where it's like, I don't want you taking a song that I wrote and presenting it as a song that you wrote. Right. Right. Or a book I wrote or whatever, you know. But like, 
generally, artists need to have the freedom to riff on each other. Right. You know, like, it's, we're all, nobody's coming up with anything original. Every idea is just building on, like, you know, whatever was thought up and done in in history before it. If, like, everybody who wanted to paint in an odalisque had to get, like, a, had to get, like, a, a, a waiver from T- Titian's uh, estate. I'm going to pretend like you I know? understood or else they this. would get, Or else they would get sued. We wouldn't have, like, you know, a lot of other great, great paintings. Like, anything, like, it's, I don't know. I just think it's, I think it's gone overboard. Um, I get, like, this is going to seem contradictory, but I get, like, with, uh, with, like, the writer strike where they want, like, residuals from the streaming. Yeah. Because, like, it's just, it's just, they just want to, they just want to participate in the profits. Right. Right. Like, otherwise, the money just goes all the way up to the studio. You know? Right. Um, but I don't know. You should be able to, like, parody a, a book, you know, like, borrow a structure from, like, another novel. Right. Because you're doing something interesting with the, with the format without worrying if you're going to get sued to oblivion. Right. It's what, what is sort of really dark about this whole thing to me is that this idea of if I'm not a creative person, I'm just not, but I understand the idea of that, you know, you base what you do on people that you watch and that inspired you when you were in your formative years. Like if I was going to be a musician, I would probably play songs that sound a lot like the bands that I like, because that's what inspired me to go play. Like, this show we do is probably inspired in large part by the podcast I listen to. Like, shamelessly crib some ideas from Pardon My Take. Why? Because I listen to that podcast, I like them, and it's like, of course what I'm going to do is going to sound like other things that I've done. I almost wish Kevin was here, because Kevin actually has a, a take on this with soccer, where he said that I don't read certain people who write about soccer just so that when I write, I can't be accused of saying I'm just stealing my take from somebody else. I think he said this last week or a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about this. That that actually reminds me of, of something. I am kind of pissed off at our, our friends at No Laying Up. Yeah. Because um, I saw they have a series they're doing now about sports team owners where they're going to do like, you know, a rundown of like, you know, the, the owner's life, how they made their money and like right. interesting things about them. And like, I mean, look, I didn't do anything with it. And cause I'm, cause I was too lazy to do anything with it, but like, I've wanted to do this. <laughs> oh wait. So hold on, hold on. You have had the thought of doing this yeah. and now you're mad at them that they have taken a thought that you had and actually right. run with it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. <laughs> I mean, no, I just, but now I can't do it. That's cool. (laughs) But now, now I can't, now I can't do it. No, no, but it's, 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 it's on site. If they steal the idea that we're definitely never going to follow through about of doing MLS away day road trips. So that's our idea. God damn it. All right. I will. I don't get, I won't get mad if, if no laying up does it. I will get mad if if like like CST does it. If like CST does it. Yeah. Yeah. No CST. And I won't really get mad, but. I'll pretend to be. I'll I'll pretend to be mad. Like I'll be mad. I'll I'll. I'll be mad at myself for not doing it. No, I'll be mad. It's really what I'll be. I'll kneecap one Weigel. I won't kneecap both Weigels, but one of them they won't even see it coming if they take that idea. 
So, and you don't know which one either. So, that's on you. You got to have your head on a swivel now if you steal that. Did you, right. you ever try to do like a prest- like a prestige thing? Ooh, the CST. You know, like the the prestige. Oh, uh, I don't. I don't, maybe... don't want to give it away. No, I don't People know. I haven't seen it. I did listen to somebody that once said that like if you have a twin that they just assume all twins made out with each other at some point, just because, well, why wouldn't you try that? I uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a weird ass assumption. <laughs> like I, like I'm an open-minded person, but I remember there was a, there was like a, oh man, I'm not even going to. Nope. 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 I'm not, no, you look up, remember. look up, look up twins. Slate.com. If you really want to, want to know but we're not going to go into it here yeah you better not go into because i'm not as good at editing this as kevin is so this is going to be one take on this i think anyway that's in the 11 out of the 18 stick around through the next commercial break with no commercial and we'll get a quick preview in of fcc versus dc united so see you then FC Cincinnati this weekend takes on DC United, one of the MLS originals, Wayne Rooney coming to town, soccer icon, soccer legend, uh, star of a Nike commercial at least once in my lifetime that was rather interesting. This is another opportunity for FC Cincinnati to take advantage of a team that's, well, better than they were last year, still down, still not a team that looks to be challenging for one of those top spots in the East. To me, this is very much a take care of business game. You got to take care of business. It's at home. Um, this team has played very well at home. I think they've won all their home games at this point. If I don't, uh, if I remember correctly, what are you looking for in this game at FC Cincinnati? Well, um, I'm looking for a win. Yeah, I mean, DC's won if you count the Open Cup. They've won four in a row, actually. But I don't care. This is a team that that the expectation should be they're top of the table. I don't care if DC's in good form. Right. They're coming here. We should beat them. I agree. Uh they're a little they're a little beat up. They're missing Steve Birnbaum who had played every game, started and played full 90s in like 8 out of 10 games. Um and they're missing Pedro Santos who um has been a starter all year for them and has been somewhat of a FC killer from his Columbus days. It's one of those things, though, that, like when you say everybody was a, everybody yeah. was an FC killer. It's like Reds fans, like oh, Bill Hall was a Reds killer. Like, everyone was a Reds killer back in the day. The pitching was terrible. Uh, but they do have you know Ben Teke. Yeah, and you you know make your make your jokes about the old European players, but Benteke is Benteke. Benteke is Benteke, and if there's anybody that's going to get the best out of an aging European player, it's you're going to think it's going to be Wayne Rooney that knows how to be an aging player in this league and what to do to be successful as an aging player in this league. DC United sits seventh in the Eastern Conference on 14 points. Um, they do a positive goal differential. Four wins, two draws, four losses. I want to this to be the game. And I'm just going to keep saying this. I'm going to say this every week optimistically until it, until it changes. I would like this very much to be the game that the offense breaks out. That 
we see some flash of what we thought this team could be in terms of attacking prowess. Um, I want to see it. I want to see Vasquez look more dangerous than he's looked. I want to see him put one, put one through. I want to see him try and shoot somewhere besides the directly at the keeper. That'd be fun. Um, and the other thing too, is that it's, I don't know what your take on this is. It definitely feels like the midfield has stagnated for this team a little bit for FC Cincinnati, that we've had a couple of games now in a row where it feels like the, the, the moving the ball has been a struggle. We talked a little bit about that on Sunday with this idea that just, there's not a lot being offered by Gaddis specifically on that right-hand side and that too much weight is being placed on Alvaro Barrial on the left, and the teams are flooding that area of the field, daring us to do something different, and we're just not. So I, I would really, in terms of looking at this game, I'd like to see Pat Noonan pull out a new trick, maybe, like a new wrinkle. It just seems like right now we are a very easy team to defend and just try something a little different, do something a little different to maybe offer something else for them to think about. I don't know. They just might not have the personnel to do it with Arias being hurt with Brenner being selectively available. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you have a thought on that. No, I mean, I just, other than that, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I, I would like to see, like to People. see some, some better ideas on, on offense. I mean, look, they were even generating chances in the, in the games and just not, just not finishing them. Um, I don't know that this game is going to be the one they break out, uh, but you got to look at that Montreal game and think, yeah, if they don't, if they don't beat Montreal at home by multiple goals, right? You know, maybe look inward. Yeah, yeah, it'd be good though because they've got. It would be nice to put this game away, put this game to bed a little bit early. Like, I know that that's greedy, but, you know, get up by two or three goals. This team has the talent to do it. And then put in the reserves a little bit, and you're going to need to play some guys some minutes against NYCFC, I would think. And then you're, you know, you're right back at it. It's just a, it's going to be an interesting, it's going to be an interesting to see how Pat deploys this situation. Um, I will have more takes on the NYC thing on the Sunday episode, but what is your score prediction for this game? Because I'm seeing this. I'm going to be generous. I w- the, the obvious answer is 1-0, because that's just when we win, we win 1-0. But I'm going to be the optimist here and say that we're a 2-0 victor in this game. Um, so I think I think I can pick, I think I can pick wins now, because I picked us to lose right. last week, and we did not win. Right. So I think, I think, I think it's reset. Do you want to graduate to ties and just sort of dip your toe in the water of the non-losing pick? No, I mean, I'm going to say 3-1. I like 3-1. Are any of those three a PK? Because I'd like to point out, I didn't crow about this enough. I did successfully predict that there would be... That Lucho would get a penalty, yeah. He would get a penalty. I thought he was going to make it because I told people to bet on Lucho to be an anytime goal scorer. But uh, will we... Will pro... Will Pro throw us a bone in this game and give us a uh, an easy one just as a make good? I don't. I don't think so. In fact, I would almost wager that DC gets a PK. Ooh, ooh. I don't know if I like that. 
I do like it though. For, it's we'll tremendous see. for it's tremendous for content though because nothing quite drives the rage clicks in the FC Cincinnati universe quite like when the refs are against us. We don't. There is nothing that brings joy to Cincinnati fans more than believing that there's a tormentor we can all line up behind. So, to that note, um, the referee for this match, Guido Gonzalez Jr., who in some circles of FC Cincinnati is a reviled name still. What are your takes on? Mr. Gonzalez is his reputation in the FC Cincinnati community warranted, at least among the the Facebook Illuminati that we see. It's built on one game. Yeah. We've done pretty well with him. I mean, obviously not the first couple seasons in MLS, but we would look Yeah. We didn't do well. We did do well against any under anybody. But we we won the last game he refed us and there was only one card given to each team. Right. So I think I think the Guido stuff is played. I think so too. It does make me happy that he's ref- he's officiating this match just because I think if there's one official who will not let another bad game happen in Cincinnati, I do think I assume Guido reads enough and Googles himself enough to know that there's a part of the FC Cincinnati fan base that's still salty. I don't see him coming out and being a full heel. I don't see him going full NWO in the crowd in this game. So I think at the very least that even if there is a pro conspiracy against FC Cincinnati, it'll be on the lighter end this week. So I don't think Mr. Gonzalez relishes being the being the shithead a second time in his in his lifetime here in Cincinnati. He might have to right, change. It's not like we have a Penso. No. Or Ted Uncle. No. No. So. No, he he might have to change planes here at some point. I think he wants or to do that Or that guy safely. who always refs the uh, crew games. Oh, God, who, his is, name. who is that? It's like it's like almost like he draws this. He's like, no, he circles that on the list. That's my game. No one else can have that one. Yeah, and he always fucks it up. Yeah, of course he does. Anyway. anyway, anything else before we get out of here? Because we've subjected these fine dozen listeners to our two voices for too long. Um, this is not a this is not a two man podcast. We definitely need a third person to help balance out some of the stupidity. I think. Yeah. Not not Kevin though. We can do better than Kevin. I think. No, I think I think what we've learned is that we need a third person. It does not have to be Kevin. Yeah. It's Max's fault that he didn't show up tonight. What's his wife's yeah. fault actually? Yeah. All right. Uh. Since it's usually my job to say something funny at the end of the episode and I'm hosting tonight, would you like to end the podcast, Grayson? Yeah, fuck Columbus. There we have it. All of the music in today's episode was provided by Jim Trace and the Makers, a phenomenal Cincinnati band here locally. They'll be playing Burrito Fest at the Comet Northside on Friday, May the 12th. I have no idea if burritos will be served, but you know the music will be good. For more information about Jim Trace and the Makers, be sure to visit the link that we have in the description of this episode. If you aren't already visiting regularly, what's wrong with you? But remedy that immediately, thepostcincy.com. There you'll find the latest pieces, writings, and other musings of the Post-Cincy staff, as well as links to the episodes of the Postcast. Also be sure, if you're enjoying the content provided by this podcast, to like, subscribe, and leave us a review. I'm required by law to say that when I have a podcast, I have no idea if it matters, but hey, write us a review. You'll be famous if anyone decides to read it. And if you are enjoying this podcast... 
forward a link to a friend, family member, or someone else that you know that likes FC Cincinnati in your life. Maybe a coworker that has an FC Cincinnati scarf hanging in his office. Who knows? Maybe you'll make a new friend over your common love of the postcast. If you want to talk about FCC, the show, or really anything, I'm sure Grayson's got movie takes you can debate on. Be sure to join the Post Cincy Discord. There's a link in the description of this episode if you aren't already a member. And one last thing, Kevin's too shy to admit it, but I'd really like to make some money off this podcast. I like money. I'm a fan of having more money than I currently have. So if you want to sponsor the great content you've heard in this episode, or let's be real, the great content you've heard in previous episodes, the DMs are open. Thank you so much for listening, and I promise that Kevin Wallace will be back next week for a better episode of the Postcast.